Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Jenny. And this is Have You Heard Of, the podcast where two best friends finally hold each other accountable for all those pop culture recommendations we keep giving each other. This week, it's my pick, and we'll be talking about the 1991 film Fried Green Tomatoes. Yeah, um, but before we get to that, um, I'm going to do a little bit of the unshareables. The unshareables, as people who've listened before know, is um, things that we can't necessarily share with each other as we live on opposite sides of our country. And some things are a little bit harder to share with each other that aren't just a movie or a TV show or a musical. And so I have two things I want to share today. The first thing is a product called Erase Your Face. Have you heard of that? I haven't, but I like. I love how your product recommendations are like, as if they're sponsoring us. They're not. You just love them. No, I know. I realize that. Every time I bring something like, hey, do this, buy this. No, I just really enjoy it. Um, so Erase Your Face is a reusable makeup removing cloth. And it is... So great! Oh my god, yes. Are they like are they like the really soft ones? Yeah. Yes, yeah, I get. Yeah. I get. I have one similar from Sephora. Oh my god. It's like oh, it's like made with a hundred percent polyester, I believe. Which um, is not something you normally look for in a fabric. No, I know, right? But I, I didn't wear a lot of makeup growing up. Like I didn't even think I started wearing makeup until university. You remember the first week in university where I like intensely wore eyeliner for like a good couple of weeks and then I just never And then wore never again. again. Yes. You yeah. The, the blue eyeshadow. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that I was very glamorous. And what you, you were. Uh, this is why we're and, <laughs> and um but recently I started wearing like I like wearing mascara and sometimes some like eyeshadow stuff, but I still don't wear a lot of makeup. And a lot of times when I do, it's usually waterproof. Because living here on the coast of the west coast of Canada, it rains whenever it feels like it. You know? This And so I oh, always need to be prepared just in case it rains. Also, you never know when you go to cry. I'm an emotional lady. This is also I, my reference. <laughs> I could see a dog and then there there I go. You know? So, <laughs> so this um, takes good care of um, you, like you don't have to use any product or anything. It gets rid of waterproof makeup and it's also reusable because you don't have to get like stacks and stacks of like little like cotton thingamajiggers you can actually just use this and it's you can just warm it with like some warm water and legitimately erase your face and then it's machine washable and it sucks because I couldn't find them but I could find them on the BC ferries so I bought three of them (laughs) amazing and also listeners you don't know this but Jenny has genuinely Jenny has genuinely (laughs) the best complexion and it would always drive me crazy because you'd be like yeah I just splash water on my face every night (laughs) okay also this is just we should have a little theme song it's a new segment beauty products with Emma and Jenny I have a recommendation for you um, because I also love the erase your face but sometimes it's just not enough if you get like a really Mm. good waterproof eyeliner and so I've started using (laughs) Burt's Bees cleansing oil Ooh. he said usually oil no 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 this is my skin is soft it gets all my makeup off I always look like I am a uh, housewife from the early 60s late 50s who's been having a complete meltdown because it just like makes my mascara stream off of my face and then I can wipe it off really easily with my face off and it's perfect Ooh, nice. Um, I just so looked yeah, into that. First piece of oil, it is life-changing. What is your other unshareable? My other thing, it's not a product. It's more of a service. <laughs> well, it's not a service. It's more of just... Okay. <laughs> um, I, as Emma knows, and a lot of people know about me, is that I struggle a lot um, with this, the English language in general. <laughs> <laughs> and especially... One thing that it um, kind of stops me from enjoying a lot is things that have subtitles in it. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a lot of difficulties um, watching movies or TV shows that are in a different language because I can't read and follow the image at the same time. Like, my brain just doesn't catch up that way. Um, however, I've been getting really into some K-pop recently. And <laughs> Thank you. And... Um, I just want to give a shout out to all those people who just on their own has translated like videos and vlogs and like special things with K-pop groups and just translate them into English. It makes me very grateful because I've actually spent the time to actually read it, but I've had to like pause the video and go back and then like see what's actually happening. But 
that's not like a company like making translations or anything. It's just people who are fans who want to share it. And I just want to say thank you to those people because I feel very much more connected to like groups that aren't like English speaking and have important things to say. And I can actually appreciate them because people have translated it for my little brain. So I just want to say thank you to those people. And you're doing God's work. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was so sincere. Also, there's an alarm going yeah. for the siren happening. But let us not let that not detract from your very sweet message. Fangirls yeah. change the world. They we do. owe fangirls and fandom so much. This is very sweet. And I, yeah. I like that a lot. Aw, thanks. Oh, that's so nice. It is nice, right? And then maybe the more I do that... Like, if I'm really into something and I'm, like, taking the time to actually absorb it and read it, maybe my brain will get better at doing subtitles and maybe you can introduce me to something. And then we can watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire and get wrecked. Oh. (laughs) In a good way. I promise. That did not... That did not seem sincere at all. Full theater. (laughs) Credits running. No one is speaking. We're all just staring dead ahead in shock of, like... Well, what have we seen? But that's the joy that awaits you of you too one day can watch this French drama and be like, wow, I'm feeling everything right now. Every emotion on the human spectrum of feeling, you yeah. experience it. So cheers, I'll drink to that. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm literally definitely, right now. I, I know. The, the listeners know this is an audio medium. Uh, audio, hun, they can hear you big, big gulps. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, moving on. <laughs> okay, do you want to get started on your thing? Yes. I okay. Do we are talking about fried green tomatoes? It is the nineteen. 19- oh my god! Every siren is going past my home right now. <laughs> the world is on fire. It's it's, it's bound fun. to happen. Okay, we are talking today about the nineteen ninety one film Fried Green Tomatoes. It is directed by John Abnett. Abnett unknown uh in his directorial debut based on the novel fried green tomatoes the whistle stop cafe by fanny flag fanny flag and i go way back i have never actually read an entire novel of hers uh i've not even read all of fried green tomatoes at the whistle stop cafe but little emma was really obsessed with the 1970s game show match game oh wait do you remember this Describe it to me, because we watched a lot of game show Okay, Network. yeah. So, yeah, we used to always be on GSN, which was, like, my primary channel. That's a GSN child. game show network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the lingo. Uh, but it was the one where you would have two guests, and then they would give you a sentence with a blank at the end of it, and you would have to fill in the blank, but it would always oh. have to be, like, a usually dirty joke that I did not understand so I was always really bad at guessing because I would always answer the blanks really literally oh yeah um but then you would also have a panel of celebrities it was always like 70s c-list celebrities so people that I have never actually heard of out of the context of match game uh and then you would try and match as many celebrities as possible because they would also write things down and Fanny Flagg was a regular guest on this show anyways so then years later when I watched Frank Green Tomatoes and my sister said, oh, it's based on the novel by Fanny Flagg, I was like, oh, oh, I know her. I know her. I know. My close personal yeah. friend Fanny. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, it is a wonderful movie. I love it so much. It is such a kind movie towards women at all stages of life mm-hmm. and your different hopes and aspirations in different circumstances and... It, I guess I'll explain a little bit about what it's about and we'll get further into the plot in a minute but basically there's two plot lines running parallel one is about Evelyn Couch played by Kathy Bates and she is a empty nester unhappy with where her marriage is if only because mm-hmm. her and her husband have both kind of stopped trying and she's trying to kickstart their relationship again without any luck and every time they go visit one of his relatives in the nursing home she ends up actually talking to another woman who lives there, Ninny Threadgood, yes. who is this very With sweet goals. elderly lady, played by Jessica Tandy, and through their friendship, Evelyn becomes more confident in who she is, and she starts pursuing like a life outside of her role as a mother and a housewife, and getting different hobbies, and getting a job, mm. 
and they become really good friends and then at the end of the movie she invites Nini to come live with her which always makes me cry because mm. they just love each other so much and then yeah. their friendship is built on Nini telling her the story about growing up with uh in this town of Whistle Stop and someone who she ended up being related to later in life because Nini Threadgood married into the Threadgood family. This is all very complicated. Yeah. I tried to figure out, like, I didn't look too much into it, but I was like, how, I tried to figure out how Nini was related. Is it like she married one of Iggy's, like, brothers or something like yes. that? Yes. So, okay. because then, and then the movie came out and people were like, is Nini Iggy? But she's not. She's not. And in the book... Okay. Which I've only read the first half of again, but in the book, Nini and Iggy do actually like interact in some of the flashback scenes, so you know that they're different mm. people. Anyways, okay. and so she's telling the story about Iggy Threadgood and her best friend Ruth uh, growing up in, and then as adult women in the 1930s in the South during the Depression, and they are mm. two women who run a cafe. And Iggy helps Ruth escape from her abusive husband, who keeps trying to track Ruth down and steal her baby. And then he goes missing, and for years, Iggy is under suspicion of having killed him until the very end, and, well, yep. the secret's in the sauce. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Oh, God, yes. indeed. What did you think of Fried Green Tomatoes? I had such an emotional journey with this movie. In total, I've watched it two and a half times, because the first time I watched it, I was visiting my mom. I was like, oh, let's watch movies. I was like, oh, I have to watch this one. So I started watching it. And I think it was just the mood I was in. I It was like, got got pretty dark pretty fast in Fried Green Tomatoes um, with like a death really soon. And we were watching it and I was like, I'm not really in the mood for this at this very moment. And then I watched Friends. I promise so it's you a comedy. See, so you could see the type of mood I was in. was not prepared for that. Um, and then the second time I watched it, I was house sitting for a coworker. And I watched it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that was pretty good. And then two weeks later, I started, like, thinking more and more about it. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, hey, this this is really good, you know? Like, I kind of sat on it for a while. I was like, I really like the way that it represents, like, female friendship and, like, being yourself and putting yourself out there and all these things. So I started liking it more that I rewatched it yesterday and I was like, Oh yeah, it's good. So it was, it also made me realize just the way we're structuring the show, like things can evolve after you started it, liking something or you watch it the first time, your mm -hmm. opinion of it can change so drastically. And because of the way we did it this time, if I would have, if we would have recorded this, the first time I watched it, it would have, I would have had a completely different Oh, and I'm so it. glad that our busy schedules prevented us from watching this movie <laughs> or yeah. recording this episode regularly. Um, had you heard of, because that's the name of our show, had you heard of Fried Green Tomatoes before I recommended it? Um, I have heard about it, aka I've heard about the food Fried Green Tomatoes. And every Which time I've heard disgusting it- disgusting to me. I'm so yeah. horrified by this concept. But don't you not like tomatoes? I hate tomatoes. They're bad. Well, They're a bad fruit. <laughs> Oh, okay. They are allowed um, maybe in tomato sauce sometimes. Like, even that is really pushing it for me. Like, a tomato sauce, I have to really... I made a tomato sauce the other day, and it involved, like, roasting tomatoes and then crushing them, and I was literally, like, retching the entire time I had to crush it. It was worth it for the end result, but tomatoes are bad. Continue. The way you framed it of... Tomatoes are okay sometimes in a tomato sauce. What else is in a tomato sauce? You can't have it without the tomatoes. No, sometimes I'll throw a nice pesto. Oh, ooh. Broccoli oh, I pesto? can get down with some yes. pesto. But that's not a tomato sauce. <laughs> it's pesto. <laughs> okay. okay, so every time I've heard about the food, someone's like, oh, like the movie. I'm like, okay. And that's pretty much all I knew. Like, I didn't know anything about the plot or what it was about. Like, I think I've seen the movie poster a couple of times when you've had, like, BuzzFeed things say, how many of these classic movies have you seen? And I was always, nope. Four. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so I didn't know actually anything really about it. So it was fascinating. I really like this type of time period type movie, like the fun southern accent. Well, I guess that's still what it is. People still have accents. <laughs> um, but it's 
throughout the movie, I kept thinking to myself how happy I am that I don't live in that time period. And, like, it's yeah. interesting to watch, but I'm, I'm so glad I'm not there or those types of pressures. And It's funny oh, that it's Boise. almost like a, a double period movie now, actually, because it came out in 91. And so if you have the Evelyn and Ethred line set in 1991, mm-hmm. which is now so dated and all of the things she's doing, like, she gets her job as a Mary Kay cosmetic saleswoman yeah. and all of these things. And it's now very dated, but I love Evelyn Couch and Minnie so much. And, yeah, so it opens the Iggy Ruth story. Jenny talked about the death, so spoilers, I guess. Just go watch this movie. I promise you will not regret it. Um, And if you do, that's on you. (laughs) But uh, you see Iggy when she's just a a little, very rambunctious tomboy, and the only person in her family who really gets her is her brother, Buddy, played by Mm. Chris O'Donnell, who played Robin in Batman and Robin, which, if you ask me, is the best Batman film. Actually, also, oh, one of the best Batman films. Tied with Michael Keaton Batman. Continue. I was going to say, I am famously known for naming actors and naming them incorrectly and being confident that's who they are. And then looking it up and being like, oh, that is not. So I thought for the whole time that that was Zachary Ty Bryan. Who, <laughs> who, he, they she could have also look, played that part. That's very look, early nineties like, casting. They look very similar, like the young versions of each. Like they do look different when you look them up. But the entire time I was like, "Hey, it's a whole improvement guy," and then I was wrong. It is Robin. It is I Robin, him. and it is always very funny to me because he gets really high billing on this film, considering he is in it for about three minutes because yeah. he so. Iggy is pretty little. She's like 12. Ruth is a couple years older. I'm going to say like 16 maybe. And mm. they're kind of, Ruth and Buddy are flirting and they go walk down to the train tracks and they think he's joking that his shoe is stuck. And then you realize that it's actually stuck and he gets hit by a train. And yeah. my sister showed this to me a couple years ago. And I just remember being like, what are, what are you making me watch? Are you hope floating me? What yeah. is happening? Yeah, that's, that's the moment where we're like, meh not really feeling this today (laughs) and then when ruth has her son whose name is buddy jr and then a really similar thing happens where he's playing down by the train tracks then it just cuts to like them all screaming and you see a tombstone and i was like megan what yeah what am i watching and then it's still awful but he only loses an arm so it's the tombstone says here lies buddy's arm and i'm oh thank god (laughs) the only time you say oh thank god to a child losing an arm when i first saw that i was like how dare they it's how they how dare they just make me think that this person died and then i thought more about it and because it made it seem like it was Iggy's idea to have the funeral of the arm and part of it you could see it as just a fun little thing they did or it could be because didn't she didn't go to her brother's funeral didn't she like stay away that is also true and it's just it's so cute like Iggy and Ruth are raising this boy and he loses an arm and they just decide to start calling him Stump otherwise all the kids are going to call him Stump anyway so they may as well get a head start but it's and he just takes such a shine to it and it's so good and I'm getting so ahead of ahead of ourselves right now we're jumping into like the last third of the movie but (laughs) um yeah, how do you want to approach this? Do you want to talk... A, do you mind if I actually talk a little bit about the making of this movie? Because that is my thing, sure. where I love learning about yeah, the history. Yeah, go ahead. So, sure. this one, the novel came out... I don't actually know. I want to say the 80s. Um, and... Basically, this producer came to John Avnet, who at this point had only produced some films, and I think directed for television a little bit. And was like, I really think you should read this book. I was going to pitch it to you. But she, instead was instead of pitching the story, was like, actually, I'm just going to give you the book because you'll love it. And he did. And so Fried Green Tomatoes was originally supposed to be a musical. Oh, and oh I my would, goodness. I would love to see that. And I am so surprised, actually, that it hasn't been made into a musical yet. Like, I feel like there are so many screen to stage adaptations happening on Broadway right now like Mrs. Doubtfire's opening really soon we had Beetlejuice last year why are we not getting on this fried green tomato strain Mm -hmm. um and basically the director read it and was like 
this is good. This is not what I wanted to do at all. And so she left the project and then Fanny mm. Flagg came on to direct her, or not direct, to adapt her own novel and okay. talked about how that was really difficult. And she ended up actually leaving it eventually as well. And the novel is also more Ruth and Iggy are in love and theirs is a romance and not mm. just a friendship. And that is something that doesn't fully translate into the film. So certainly it's, if you know, you know, it's very, very obvious that yeah. um, Iggy is in love with Ruth. And when she helps Ruth leave her husband, start this cafe together, they live together, they raise her son together, they mm. are in love. Um, yes. And so that's more apparent in the novel. In the movie, it is mainly just implied. Aside from, like, it's it's insane to say just implied because there's even a scene where they kiss and they talk about how they love each other all of the time. And I think about this all of the time. And then there's the <laughs> uh, Iggy is a bee charmer and is making honey oh, and just like yeah. reaches into the honeycombs and pulls out all this. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know where I'm going with this other than that it's I... all like very romantic and just about these two women learning to trust each other and care yeah. about each other and what they can do. And anyways, John Avnet, uh was really passionate about this project. And so even though multiple screenwriters left him, he ended up finishing the script himself and adapting it uh, and finishing off the script and directing it to great financial and critical success. It was nominated for two Academy Awards, including Best Adapted Screenplay. Ooh. The other nomination was for Jessica Tandy as Minnie, Best uh, Supporting Actress. She did not win. I don't know who did because I wasn't alive then and didn't care about award season in 1991 when I was about a twinkle in my parents' eyes. Anyways, yeah, and it's also just really wild to me because I have never heard of this director since, and so I was looking him up yeah. to see what else he had done, and this is pretty much his only successful film. And oh, if we're going to lean into just the film, the industry for a minute... This is a man who had a very successful first film, and then everything else he's directed has been a critical and financial failure. Like, there are some real stinkers on here, oh, if I'm being no. totally honest. But I think it's like, interesting. what example of one that he, he did? They're also, it's so weird, because they're all very masculine movies, and they're all, but, huh. like, they're very, like, violent or crime-based and very, mm. like, shallow characters. And so it's so strange that his passion project in the early 90s was this very tender story of romance and friendship about, like, women and have their, yeah. their place in society. And he has such a, a clear vision of what he wants the story to be. It seems like I sometimes... Political actors, crime thrillers. Yeah, actors do this sometimes, too, when if they're really well known for something then they try to do the complete opposite to not get, like, typecasted in a way. So I wonder if this director wanted to do, it seems like, the complete opposite of Fried Green Tomatoes. And then, clearly, it's not doing great, but that's what they're trying to do, is not to be associated with it, in a way. But it's just so wild to me, because he never tries to go back to do another movie. Like, he does these these thrillers that don't go anywhere, and never goes back to a, a more so, uh, uh, more soft, softer domestic drama. He just keeps driving down this line of yeah. failed projects. So it's not even him trying to, I think, show his range as much as it was him being like, well, now I'm going to, now I'm a successful studio director. I'm going to do this. And then never straying from that path. And so he ends up being quite a narrow director in terms of the stories mm. he's telling. But yeah, it's just so weird because it was his first film. The way in society has a lot of times have been told like make movies for men because if you make a movie for women they're not men aren't going to see it but this is fried green tomatoes is very popular it's, it's the a, only it's one of classic. his movies that has had any staying power and then also just i think indicative of you know we talk about a lot about directors getting sent to director jail like, if you, if you have enough flops, no matter what your past success is, eventually people are going to stop letting you lead projects. And for mm. women, it's very much a, you fail once, you're done. And you look at John Avnet, and he had one success, and then has failed with every film since. Like he's And he's still got another movie coming out, mm. um, starring Glenn Close later this year, that premiered at Sundance. And it's just like, how many chances are you going to get, buddy? 
Yeah. But this one is starring Glenn Close and Mila Kunis, so maybe Ooh. maybe it took him 30 years, but maybe he's finally going back to to a domestic drama, which I, frankly, would welcome, being able to see. Yeah. Oh. Oh, hold on. Sorry, I'm on, I'm on his Wikipedia page, and he's on his Wikipedia page, he's listed as the director for this film, and then when you go look at the film on IMDb, it lists an entirely different director. Oh, it's produced by him. Okay. So, well, we shall see. He's still, he's still giving see. projects being given projects, but let's see if he actually does anything with them. Anyways, so Fried Green Tomatoes is another story similar, like, it's similar to other things I love in that it's people who were very passionate about a project and were willing mm -hmm. to take risks and then also accept the limitations that came with that movie. So he knew he wanted to tell it and knew that meant he wasn't going to be able to lean into the romance side of things, but he still makes it this incredibly warm film that I love. Thoughts? So I guess I'm going to kind of break it, our discussion up into the two different storylines. What did you think of yeah. Evelyn and Nini? Evelyn and Nini. I thought it was super cute. Like, watching how hard Evelyn was trying to make her marriage work, and going to classes, and all these things, and her husband's not doing anything. And that's not a marriage when you're doing going out of your way to try to help something, and he has a line, he's like, well, if the classes aren't helping, just don't go. And she's like, I'm That's doing not this the for point. Us. I do not understand what's going on. And then she starts to, through the stories that Ninny is telling her, she starts to find herself. And there's a scene when she's on like a little trampoline. And it made me laugh so hard because my mom used to have one of those little <laughs> trampolines. And she was just jumping up and down. And she made this low cholesterol meal for her husband. And she's just, you can see in her mind, she's just ready to go. Like, there's a switch in her brain from hearing the story of these women who got to or doing what they want to do and not what society is telling them to do. And she realizes that, hey, this is my life. I don't have to be trying so hard to make something work when I need to be, like, work with myself and make myself happy. And then their relationship is adorable because she's just going, like, tell me the story. Tell me more about the story. And that give and take of... She was there for Nini because she wanted company, but she was all Nini was also there for her to show her the joy and the youth that she had, even though she's older than her. And it was just precious. It's so good. I, yeah, like it's just so sweet. And so Evelyn's story is not one you ever see really in movies because she's a woman going through change in her life about what she wants to do and what she wants to pursue and it just treats her so seriously and all of her concerns would seem so flippant to yeah. a large story because it is just her trying to make her marriage work and her being like I am just eating all the time and there's nothing wrong with eating and one or two chocolate bars isn't gonna kill you but I'm just eating because I'm bored and I don't have anything to do and she's just unhappy and feeling small and then hearing these stories about women you know 50 years earlier who were doing all these things and she's like oh yeah I can I can do this too and there's all these scenes of her you know renovating her house and making friends mm -hmm. and standing up to to me ladies at the grocery store who try to steal her parking spot and I uh, do not recommend then if someone feels her parking spot running into their car I think six times but <laughs> good for her good for her to stand to Wanda connection with Evelyn's storyline and Ruth's storyline kind of combined in a way of like Ruth's beginning stories of they were always doing things that they thought were right like mm. Ruth was staying with her parents and she was going she was getting married and she was being proper and all of those things and Evelyn as well was like she was a housewife she people were like budging in front of her and she'd be like why did you do that why are you being mean and then just yelling at her and trying her best and just not letting anyone like people were just walking all over her and they both of them in this story have a realization and like Evelyn has that when she went with the car incident when she finally was like you know what I'm not gonna take 
all this shit from people anymore. Like, this is not okay. Like, I'm like, why am I letting being passive in my own life? And Ruth even says, um, when she would pray, when like her husband would hurt her and not doing anything about it. And then finally saying, well, if I do see him, I'm going to kill him pretty much. And like doing actions and not being passive in your own life and what you're doing. It may be, what did I write down? I said, doing something proper or what you're supposed to do, like the way to do it right does not mean it's the good way to do it. Like when they're throwing all the, um, like the stuff off of the train in the story, like you're not supposed to do that, but it's the right, it's not the right thing to do, but it's the good thing to do, you know? And I like It's that. during the great depression. And so they're throwing food off of the train to all of these people who are in a, in a tent city basically and giving all of these families food to eat. And it's just, just, it's Ruth's first act of rebellion. Keep going with what you were saying, but yeah. Yeah. So it's like the first act of rebellion. And it's also with the parallels with Evelyn of her, um, deciding like, no, I'm, I'm going to go and do, start my own business. I'm going to like hit down the wall because this is my house and this is what I'm going to be doing. And I know like for myself, a lot of times I will try so hard not to be a bother for anything I do. Like no matter what it is, even if it's something I want to do, I don't want to be an inconvenience or a bother for anything. And watching this movie made me realize, no, if I want to do something, I'm going to do something. It's my life. And, like, and no. you don't have to be like Evelyn and wait until you're in your 40s. You can just start changes right away. You can just do things that make you happy. And mm-hmm. I mean, and I like to, like, her husband really is just not putting in any effort. No. And they do a good job, I think, of showing that he is also just someone who is very stuck. And so it's very easy to look yeah. at him and be like, Oh, what a loser. What, what a, what a fool. And yeah. he loves his wife so much and he just doesn't understand what she is going through. And so it, it's nice that she doesn't try to make him, well, she tries to make him understand. And when that doesn't work, she's like, okay, I'm going to stop spending all of my time trying to make you get why I'm unhappy and I'm going to fix it myself. And yeah. she sets up a room for Ninny and is very clear, like, we're going to invite this 80-year-old woman to come live with us. And her husband's like, what are you doing? She's like, no, this is what's going to make me happy. And believe it or not, this is going to help us. And yeah. I just love that assertion. And then they, God, this movie is the the champion of fake outs because then she goes to tell Nini to invite her to live with her and they're like oh she's gone you think she's died and actually no she's just gone tried to go back to her old house which was bawling when that happened I was like how dare you and the amount of times like people don't realize how much someone could mean to another person and that nurse who has no idea just like yeah she's gone and taking down all her stuff and Evelyn is telling her no like this person was important to me and then another person comes and says oh no she left she's fine she's just back in whistle stop (laughs) how dare they uh and then i also love how this movie i don't even know how it count but dips a little bit into the magical realism because at the end of the movie Evelyn and Minnie are getting ready to to go back to evelyn's house but they stop by the cemetery where ruth is buried because this is not a fake out, it's just sad, but Ruth eventually dies of cancer at one point in the story, and that's kind of at the end of her and mm-hmm. Angie's narrative. But they go to visit Ruth's grave, and someone has left a jar of honey, and it is signed from the bee charmer, which is Iggy's mm-hmm. nickname from Ruth. And it's dips a little bit into the magical realism of Iggy as this kind of mystical figure that just made her own path in life, and went her own way the entire she was always very confident in who she is and i mean if if ninny is 80 then Iggy at this point would be like what a hundred i don't know how old mm. how much but i like how it's just this their love can last throughout time yeah and <sighs> the whole showing of female friendships whatever form that is in is rarely shown in TV and media to this day. And Certainly so not so... mainstream, like, wide-release no. movies. You have to go to Indian... Yeah, continue. And I find them showing this, even, like, Ninny, wasn't she in the hospital because her friend was sick? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. So Mrs. Otis, so Nini has not been moved into the retirement home or the assisted care facility. She's there because her friend, Mrs. Otis, who you later find out is the granddaughter of Sipsy, who is a character in the Earth Itchy timeline. Um, mm. Yeah, their friendship is really important, too, even though you never really see Mrs. Otis. The fact that Nini is willing to uproot her whole life to make sure that her friend is comfortable as she has to move into uh, somewhere new mm-hmm. and kind of scary. And they kind of touch on it during um, the trial scene with Ruth and Iggy when the person's asking Ruth, like, why did you go with this person? Why did you go? And yes, there is not, like, we know they were in love. Um, it was also that that's enough. Like, the Laura's saying, did she offer you money? Did she offer you a bigger house? And Ruth says no. She's my best friend. And I love her. And that's enough, right? It's and just... I am a huge fan of friendships, plots. So the fact of just someone just caring for someone so much that like, there's no strings attached, it's just pure caring for someone is magical. It's the true magic of the world, I believe. And it's just so beautiful. Why did you leave with Itchy Threadgood that day? Answer the question, Mrs. Bennett. Because she... She's the best friend I ever had, and I love her. So good. Um, yeah, so let's dive into the Ruth and Itchy plotline a little bit. Um, Sorry, it's... I was going all over the place. We were supposed to talk about that, but I was like, no, we're No, that's okay, because we have been going all over the place. But I was just like, oh man, that means we're skipping over all the really good stuff at the beginning of their friendship, where um, after Buddy, the brother, dies, Iggy, who is little, just goes full feral and moves into the woods for years and, like, yeah. only comes by her parents' house to give them fish she's caught in the river. And she's just this, like covered in dirt matted hair forest creature which I Mm -hmm. respect um and one thing this movie does too that we haven't really touched on at all and are not really necessarily not necessarily qualified to talk about but it is part of the story is that one thing that also sets Ruth and Iggy apart is their willingness to in the 30s in the deep south um open their restaurant to people of color and to African Americans Mm -hmm. and so like these people I don't really know what the characters are Sipsy and Big George you don't know what their connection is to the Threadgood family other than I think that they worked for the Threadgood parents at one point but when yes it's interesting too that we're talking about friendship and Ruth why would you leave her husband to go with this woman it's because she cared about me this woman is Mm -hmm. my family and it's kind of the same with Iggy and Sipsy and Big George and that her parents never understood her buddy was the only one who did and when he left she went into the <laughs> went full feral and then it ended up being Sipsy and Big George who understood her and knew how to support her and just be like we're gonna let you be alone for literally years because that's how you're processing this horrible thing that happened to you but we're gonna mm-hmm. make sure you're okay and so like their relationship is really important to the to the narrative as well and it's just mm-hmm so good and so I love that sequence and it's such a short part of the movie but basically Iggy's mother brings Ruth back because Ruth is this very good girl who's the daughter of a preacher and she always tries to be amenable and they're like can you please civilize our daughter and instead Iggy just corrupts Ruth completely yes it's that's kind of what I was talking about before of the she was the proper and doing what is right and what is good but that doesn't necessarily mean it is what you should do. And their friendship at the beginning is so... It's so interesting. It's this yin and yang that are working against each other. They each have a preconceived idea of who the other is. And I feel like that happens a lot today with... Ex- like, if you see someone, you have already an idea of who they are. But once you start spending time with them, you realize that there's so many more similarities that you have than differences. And you can create bonds and connections with people by just taking the time to really know them. It's it's so good. And they and then they spend this magical summer together where 
Angie teaches Ruth how to gamble and gets her to stow away on these trains and give away all of these groceries and supplies and they get drunk and go to parties and just have the most wonderful summer and then she goes off and marries Frank who is the worst devil man, bastard man. Oh my god. And the second time I watched it I forgot like what he looked like the scenes of him before the marriage he's just when looking I in the background like a yeah not the good and kind of gremlin no it's so bad and especially they live in like a middle of a field in the middle of nowhere Ruth has been told like you marry you marry you keep care of your family all these things and she can't ask for help and if she did it wasn't the proper thing to do and so she was just isolated I would feel sick knowing like if someone was going through something and there was nothing I could do like nowadays we have phones and we have things and we there's systems and it's, and it's still help. so difficult yeah and yeah so this the, oh god the sequence where Ruth realizes or not Ruth AG realizes what is happening to Ruth and knows she can't do anything because she is just itchy threadgood who's that weird girl who lives in the woods and hangs out with guys and smokes all the time um, but knows something is wrong with her friend and just basically goes and says the beach armor is here when you need help and just just like and then the second Ruth is brave enough to ask for help she brings Big George and a bunch of other guys and it's like we are getting all of your stuff yeah. and we are getting out of this house and it's so nerve-wracking and harrowing oh yeah oh god and then this is where we start to get into the more dramatic part of the plot where people aren't happy that Ruth left her husband because that's not the way we do things. People aren't happy that Big George and Sipsy are working at the Whistle Stop Cafe. And A.G. has this friend named Grady who is the, I think, sheriff or chief of police. Mm -hmm. And again, the movie does a really good job of showing him as like this guy who's who's hung up on A.G. and not realizing that she's never going to be interested. Um, but isn't a bad guy. And then you realize, oh wait, no, he's pretty racist. Like, Or not pretty racist. Yeah. He is racist. He is... And just because he's not a member of the KKK, he is still enabling them to terrorize the Whistle Stop oh, Cafe. Yeah. And it's, again, very nerve-wracking of it's just these women and all they have is each other and the family that they've made for themselves. And do we want to get into the main twist of the... Uh, before you do that, the one thing I do want okay. to say is you kind of talked about how everyone was upset with them because how can they be happy doing this and they're not happy with them for leaving her husband or opening a cafe or serving people of color one thing they know never look at is but are they happy i feel like that's a overlooked thing all the time is that all oh, these people aren't happy that you're doing this but are they're happy doing it then you should be happy for them it's like the golden rule if they're do doing good, they are good, you know? I, as you were saying this, I just received a blast from the past. I was transported back through time because one of the main scenes for the, where you kind of see this, they get into, Ruth and Angie get into a food fight when they're making fried yeah. green tomatoes and chocolate cake, which um, the director has said was kind of his way of, I don't know if it fully tracks, but because he had, couldn't have a love scene between the two of them, he put this food fight in instead of, like, a, a sex scene or a love scene. It was very sensual. It is very sensual. Sensual is the word I'm looking for. Thank you. And, You're welcome. But it is just very funny of these women just getting into a disgustingly sticky food fight in the middle of the summer. It's like they're already really sweaty. And then they mm -hmm. just are laughing so hard that they're crying. And Grady, the racist, walks in and is like... Um, excuse me? <laughs> what is happening? And they just don't care, which is one of my yeah. favorite scenes. But this is actually the first scene I ever saw from the movie, and I saw it probably, like, a minimum 30 times. Oh! <laughs> because... <laughs> Why so many times? <laughs> because my entire family is obsessed with movie trivia. And so, do you remember the board game scene it? Oh, girl, I got many versions of it. Uh -huh. Yes, so seen it. Like, you put the little DVD in, and it's all movie yeah. trivia. Oh, and I wish wow, they were still yeah. making seen it, because I'm like, the version I have is from probably 10 years ago, so there's no oh, yeah. up-to-date movies. But one of the categories is where you would have to watch a clip, and then they would ask you a question about that scene. 
and one of the clips was the food fight scene from Fried Green Tomatoes, and I remember watching it mm. and being like, what is this movie about? What is happening here? And then <laughs> didn't watch this movie until I was like, what, 24 years old? And was like, oh, oh, I know this part. Um, <laughs> and I just think it's very indicative that the Mr. Scenic was like, hmm, what scene is indicative of Fried Green Tomatoes? I can food just, fight. I love how you called it Mr. Seen It. I can just envision like a man in like a top hat being like, hmm. And a monocle. Yes, this'll do. Like, he kind of looks like whatever his name is. Mr. Like Peanut? Peanut? Yeah. Or, like, Mr. Mr. Peanut, Peanut, the Pringles man and Monopoly, Monopoly guy all together. I know one of them doesn't have a monocle and everyone thinks he has, so that's just why I named all of them, just in case. Does Mr. Monopoly not have a monocle? I don't think he does. Oh my god. Wait. I'm, I'm looking this up. Hold on. Okay. Mr. Monopoly? That's not his name, is it? It is. Mr. Monopoly. No, Monopoly Man? Bowling? I can't speak. Okay, Monopoly I've got it. It's loading. It's loading. Oh, his name is Rich Uncle Pennybags, and he does oh not have goodness. a monocle, so there's a lot of things I'm learning right now. Wait, Mr. Peanut that? has a monocle. Okay. R.I.P. R.I.P. Nut. <laughs> oh, yeah, jeez. Yeah. That, what, a, what an era we're living in. God. That happened 10 years ago, as far as the news the cycle Cicada? is concerned. I know. Well, it feels like it happened 10 years ago. A lot's happened since the Super Bowl, Jenny. <laughs> I was like, that was like a couple of months, like last month. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, Mr. Seenit was like, you know what the people need to see? The sensual food fight thing yes. from Fried Green Tomatoes. And so you're talking about, we should just let these women be happy? And that is a perfect scene to me of seeing them just... Mm-hmm. At their best. Oh, yeah. The cat is right in the camera. Oh, my God, bless. He looks... Okay, I'm trying to hold up to the microphone. He is not having it. You were Mr. Chatty Cathy earlier. He's just a plump little... He's a beefy boy. He's a beefy boy. With big glumps and Do you want to explain to people what we're talking about so we're not just saying we have a guest and we're calling him a beefy boy? (laughs) (laughs) My roommate's cat. Came was clawing at the door. His name is mm. Dino, and he is the fluffiest. And oh. he's actually being very snuggly right now. He would normally. Oh my god! Oh my god! He's just resting <gasps> on my arm. Holy shit! He's not a lap. Oh, he's leaving. <laughs> oh, there you go. He is not a lap cat, but he's a tummy cat or a butt cat. Like if I'm lying on my tummy, then he'll come sit on my butt. Um, mm. but no. now he's just chilling. Hello, friend. He actually was also watching Fried Green Tomatoes with me. What did you think of the movie? Just dead air. Okay, this isn't this is, this is good radio, Dino. <laughs> um, okay, anywho. I, yes, is there anything else I wanted to say before we get into the thing? Um, <laughs> oh, one thing, when Iggy was a child, she reminded me so much of me as a child. <gasps> Baby Jenny. So much so. Like, with the blonde hair... So stubborn. I'm still stubborn to this day, yes. but so stubborn. Um, didn't want to wear a dress. Used to wear dresses until one day. Day one day, a boy looked at my dress, and I never wore dresses again. <gasps> Bastard boy. And I know. And I would like run around and do a bunch of things. So it reminded me so much of her, and I could definitely identify with not wanting to do the whole social norm thing. And I remember as a kid, someone would say, "Hey, like." we want the strongest men in class to come and pick up some things. And I would say, no, I will go and pick them all up. Like, I was like, how dare you put me in a box, sir? I am the strongest one in the class. Uh, yeah, I really liked little itchy. I was like, it's me. It's so good. Um, is a story I wanted to tell earlier. You just reminded me of it. But okay. earlier this week at work, um, we're talking about like, who you are as a person, like, the image you project to the outside world. Mm-hmm. At work, I've been trying to be very amenable and, like, make work friends and not be, like, yeah. too much. Um, but that has not been working out for me, and I apparently just need to be a lot more authentic because <laughs> someone at work came up to me the other day and was like, oh, what are your thoughts on the movie Ford v. Ferrari? And I was like, why the hell do you think I care about Ford v. Ferrari? I had to see that trailer of Capture and Abeltha throwing the chair down while she watches Matt Damon wrestle with Christian Bale so many times. It honestly got played in front of every movie I saw last summer. And I was like, I don't yeah. care about this movie about cars where America tries to prove that it's better than Europe. And I was like, 
oh, well, I actually haven't seen Ford versus Ferrari. In my head, I thought, it's because I had taste. Um, and then instead, I was like, well, I went Ooh, to go shots see... shots fired. <laughs> it's supposed to be very a very meat potatoes kind of movie. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to watch a bro movie. It's going to be Top Gun 2 Maverick. Um, yeah. Because I, again, have taste. <laughs> and anyways, and then... Drag them, my goodness. Watched... I know, I feel like people are going to hear me uh, stump for Top Gun 2 and immediately disregard any opinion I ever express again. <laughs> but then I was like, oh, well, I went to go see Porter Double Lady on Fire, and everyone I talked to was like, that doesn't seem like the kind of movie you would have watched. And I was like, oh no, oh no, I've given off entirely the wrong vibe. <laughs> yeah, this is, I, oh, I've made a You think I somewhere. did go see the American car movie and didn't go see the French drama about lesbians in love as a retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice? I've made a miscalculation. <laughs> Anyways, so on the record, fried green tomatoes, portrait of a lady on fire. This is who I am as a person. <laughs> Not for the yes. Ferrari. So anyways, we've sidetracked now, but I wanted to tell that story before I forgot it again. Um, and then we get into what is ostensibly like the main driving source of drama in this plot is that... Mm-hmm. Frank, the ex-husband, comes looking for Ruth and Buddy Jr. and goes missing. Mm -hmm. And no one knows what's happened to him, and an investigator comes up and is repeatedly looking for him and very suspicious of Iggy. And Ruth asks her, like, did you kill him? And Iggy says, no, but I promise he's never going to bother you again. Yeah. And they could leave it open-ended, uh, Iggy eventually goes on trial and comes out on top in no small part to Ruth getting her preacher father to give Iggy an alibi. Wait, so was that her father or was it a different preacher? Because I thought both of her parents died. I think just her mother died. I think it was her father. Okay. I guess this is just be like a warning if you don't know this. This is the kind of other famous thing about fried green tomatoes is... It's so gross to say out loud. Basically, <sighs> he tries to kidnap the baby and... Sipsy, who is watching over the baby because everyone else is out of the house, hits him in the head with a shovel and kills him. But because she is a black woman in the South in the 30s, it's like, it doesn't matter if it's self-defense. I'm going to die if anyone finds Mm -hmm. out. And they don't know what to do with the body. Uh, And Iggy finds out and comes up with a horrible plan to barbecue him. And I do want to say... In her defense, she does not intend to feed it to anyone. How Um, does she not... How? Because, like, they're very... Because they keep saying, like, oh, no, barbecue's actually not ready right now. Like, you can't have barbecue right now. And then the investigator comes and basically insists. He's like, well, what about the barbecue that's on the grill right now? And insists that he eats it. And the secret's in the sauce. He's like, this is the best barbecue I've ever had. And then everyone throws up in their mouth a little bit. (laughs) But the moral Uh, of the story is they never get caught. So it's fine. And this is played for comedic effect. And it's so horrifying. Oh my god. I could could do without that. (laughs) Honestly. I don't I know, need that maybe in my like, life. Watch this movie, like it's got some dramatic twists and turns, but ultimately it's just a loving story about friendship and empowerment and some light cannibalism. Light cannibalism, soft cannibalism. And you know what? He was also a racist, so fuck that. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't want to accidentally eat people, but he yeah. was a... I mean, who does in this economy? I it's okay. just <laughs> Sorry, you're it's okay. In this economy, cannibalism is more likely than you think. Yes, yeah, so uh, Fried Green Tomatoes is actually a, a Snowpiercer prequel. That's that's the train that goes by the Whistle Stop Cafe. Oh god. Um. Anyways, so I I feel like we had to mention that, which is a really weird note to end on because the moral <laughs> of the story is that like Ruth and Iggy find each other when they needed someone and found family, and I'm not speaking in full senses, but Evelyn and Minnie are so important, and it's just like a little window into the 90s and happiness. In a world where, especially where women are finding that their opinions are not being heard, and that their experiences are not valid, to see a movie that was made in the 90s that actually validated that connections between women are powerful and that they can change the world and change people's minds on things and 
be heard in court, even though they lied, but they, um, <laughs> that they had, that you can change, you can change who you are for no other reason than because you want to and not because society wants you. And I think that is great. And even with, um, that court scene, like they're telling the truth and the jury and the, the, the prosecutor are not believing Iggy, even though she genuinely, you know, didn't kill yeah. Frank. So she is speaking the That's truth, true. but when they're not believed that their community comes together to back them up and it's like, no, we're yeah. going to make sure that you are okay is very moving to me. And I just yeah. love this movie. And again, like, it's just, it's a story for, for literally anyone because you've got the story of AJ as a child and then her and Ruth growing up into adulthood. And then the story of Evelyn in her forties and Nini in her eighties. And it's just, you can watch it with anyone and you can relate to it if you have taste. If, oh, don't say taste when we just talked about Campbell. The secrets and the sauce. Oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's for Green Tomatoes. Um, <laughs> I It's go watch it. It's on Netflix. Like, it's a good it time. We, we just told you everything that happens, but there's still so much joy to be found in this oh, movie. Yeah. Made for $11 million, made $116 million. Wow. It did a lot better than the last movie you suggested in the oh box my, office. Actually, I know. Oh, God. <laughs> See? I've got the range. Um, <laughs> yeah, so every week we are doing something called the Star Chart Chase, where mm-hmm. Jenny and I uh, love stickers and love some light competition. So we mm. we give each other stars depending on how much we like who the other person recommended. So Jenny, how many stars out of five out of five am I gonna get okay. this week? Okay, so like I said earlier, I'm glad we did this. We were delayed slightly because I would have gone given it lower than I am today. <sighs> so um for the reason of Strong friendship and connection between women for justice systems being served. And for, I read a little bit about the meaning this movie has in a lot of different communities and the importance of it in, like, not only cinema, but for, like, LGBTQ plus communities and for, um, like, women's rights and, like, so many things. It's a very important movie. All that combined together, I've given it a four out of five. <gasps> Yay! I'm so happy that it has grown on you and that you liked yeah. it. I'm always so nervous because it was one where I was like, oh, she'll love the friendship, but the cannibalism. But, yeah. oh God. And so I'm, <laughs> well, very, yes. I'm very happy with the four out of five star rating. I will yeah. add it to my chart. Yes, yes. I find um, it definitely grew on me the first time I watched it. I thought I wouldn't watch it again. And then I watched it again. I was like, oh, this could be something if. You know, I, if I'm sick and I'm at home and I want to watch a, a movie from the 90s because that's how I make myself feel better, I will watch maybe this movie or something like that. Yeah. Nice. Amazing. good. Okay, and then, so, for our little closing segment, this one doesn't have a name, I guess, because it's a little different every episode, but we always like to close out with a game, and so the last time I made Jenny guess Martian names and which ones were accurate or not, and... and God, was that a hard one. Was that a saga, both for names and for my inability to do math, planned or otherwise. <laughs> um, but this one... Is actually because our favorite thing to do is recommendations, and because I didn't plan uh, a game ahead of time, we started recording, and I was like, "Oh no!" But <laughs> I, I do have a question for you: of yes. what is your, and it could be a movie or musical or TV show. Uh, what is your favorite fictional friendship, uh, homoerotic undertones or not? But what is one of your favorite friendships Ooh. in the spirit of of Ruth and Iggy and Evelyn and Minnie? Ooh. Ooh. Sorry, I became... I don't know what happened to me. I became an animal. Um, that... I know there's going to be more than the ones I'm going to say. Whatever whatever comes 
to mind first? Well, okay, the first one that came to mind, um, friendship between Russell and Carl from Up was the first thing that came to mind. Oh, I would never have expected that at all, even though Disney is your thing. <laughs> well, the reason why I came up with that, also, the age difference is a little bit different, but the connection with, like, Evelyn and Minnie... Mm-hmm. Of, like, the different generations and them each needing each other. And what I really like about that friendship is that, like, Russell does, like, his dad isn't there all the time and he wants, he wants company. And then Carl's like, no, I don't want a child. And then realizing that this child is giving him his youth and wanting to be together. And it's just so, Aww. it's so heartwarming and it's very nice. I also really like, the friendship between in friends between Joey and Phoebe. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, I was, when I asked you this, I was like, she's going to say Joey and Chandler, but Joey and Phoebe is even better. I say as someone who's <laughs> never actually seen a full episode of Friends. I mean, Tell Joey me and Chandler like are so great. Like, oh my, like their friendship of caring for each other and just being there and they go through their ups and downs, but they just want to be good friends is great. But the reason why I really like Joey and Phoebe is they always have these little moments when they're kind of like, like, kind of, like, cute to each other, kind of flirting with each other, and they're always, like, oh, like, you know you're my number one, and um, they always hang out together and talk about the other people they say slightly on one side, and, um, I just, like, it was a friendship that was on screen sometimes, but a lot of it was just little notes here and there that you would know that their friendship grows beyond what is being seen, which I really enjoy, so you know that there's more going on than what you're seeing, and that's, that's always... Very nice, and I like that. I um, love that as well, actually. That's very, a very good answer. Well done, because I definitely put you on the spot there, and you crushed it. That's okay. I know. I feel like there's so many more. I'm trying to like look around and try to think if there's any other friendships that I really like. Well, yeah. Though I, currently, the ones that I thought of on the spot are those two ones, but there are definitely way more friendships out there that I enjoy. Anytime there is a friendship plot in any TV, movie, book, in a like musical group or anything, it makes me very happy. Like, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Jonathan Groff's relationship, like, just friendships are just very, very exciting to me because I value friendship above most things. And seeing other people having fun with each other and just caring for each other because they enjoy each other's company is heartwarming and should be appreciated and it's valid. So yes. <laughs> Excellent. I, Thank you. I had one I wanted to throw out there that actually just came to me while you were talking that I thought about because this is a movie we saw for the first time together, but um, Mark and Mike in Pride oh. are a really good one too. Everyone should just go watch yeah. Pride because it is the most feel-good of feel-good films. Oh, I love that movie so much. Oh, so we don't need to go into that right now because we'll inevitably talk about it many more times over the course of this oh. podcast, but... Oh, it's so good. Gotta go rewatch Pride. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so nice. yes, this is our podcast for today. We did it. I can. <laughs> good job, us. We did. Um, yes. So. And thank you, everyone, for listening to us and following us on our Twitter and letting us know you like the podcast that's very nice if you haven't done that already you can do that now and tweet at us at hi-ho podcast or email us at hi-ho podcast at gmail.com that's h-y-h-o for have you heard of and yeah we this is our first episode we've recorded since we actually started putting episodes out and it's been really exciting as two people who have no personal social media presence at all this people are still (laughs) actually listening to to our podcast it's very exciting so thank you very much everyone who's listened so far and i hope you continue to do so if you want to let us know on twitter what you think what your favorite um fictional friendship characters are please let us know i'd be really excited to see i've already missed so many in my mind that i should be mentioning but if you have a favorite duo or favorite group of friends like Please let us know because I, I, I want to watch those things. Those I are great. Things. If you are someone who is, you know, writing Fried Green Tomatoes the musical, hit me up because I will fly anywhere in the world to watch that. It is true. She um, will. <laughs> I will. I do that a lot. 
Um, and that's our show, everybody. We will be yeah. back in two weeks with Jenny's pick. Do you want yes. to tell them what we're going to be talking about? Or should it be a surprise? Yeah. Oh, let's be a surprise. I'll do oh. a hint like I did last time. Oh, now I had to come up with a hint. Okay, the next episode will be about something's going on in a neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night. Okay, oh, uh, like what you like, your opinion is valid. Oh, as long as it's the same as mine. There you go. The okay, secret's good. in the sauce. Oh, no. <laughs>